This is Heather Meckes, Director of Discipleship at CRC, and this is our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this inspires you, encourages you, and allows you to see how God is moving in and around you. If you would like to check out more resources, go to coopersvillereform.com. Enjoy the message. John 3, 17. Luke 10, 18 through 20. Exodus 14, 13a. Hebrews 4, 12 says the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It cuts even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. My whole life changed. And my whole life changed. My whole life changed. My whole life changed. My whole life changed. Morning, church. Uh, my name is Connor Mackey. I'm the Young Adults Leader and Creative Arts Producer here at CRC. And we're going to pray in just a moment here. Um, but before we do, I'd like to give you a little bit of context. And many of you are already aware of this. Uh, you were probably expecting Pastor John here this morning. But I am gratefully and willingly filling in for my brother in Christ as he and his family mourn for his brother, Kenny. Uh, Kenny was John's hero and a man who made John the man he is today. And so we are thankful to God for Kenny. That's not the only thing happening in our church. Uh, As many of you know, a staple member of our church Arlen Walt passed away earlier this week as well, a man that this church respected very highly and this community respected very highly. So we mourn him. And there's also Cheryl Ball, Rachel Cunnan's mother, a mother and a grandmother who we are also mourning the loss of. There is hurt and there is pain in our church right now. And I can tell you from experience that one of the things that our church does really well is showing love to those who are hurting. And so we're going to do that, right? Because that's what we do. There's no fancy theological way for me to say that. That's just what we do. And so with that, I'd like to ask for you to pray with me. Father, I thank you for this church. And I thank you for the people that we just named that you let us meet them, that you let us know them, God. That they were able to uh, impact change in our lives, God. We pray for those who are mourning, those who are hurting, that you would comfort them, and that if there's any way that we can be a part of that comforting, that you would allow us to do so. Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters in the faith who support your body. But when they see another member hurting, they run to them and they'll show them love. And we pray for Ukraine. We pray for those who are losing their homes, their jobs, their lives right now. 
Father, I thank you for this church once more. Pray that they would not only love those locally, but love those globally. Pray that the words in my mouth today would be pleasing to you. And that if there's anything that is not of you, it would be struck from our memories. That your name would be glorified today by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Typically, we have a scripture reading before I get up here, but I wanted to share this scripture with you. I wanted to be the one to read it because this is a psalm that I've been living in for the past three weeks or so, obsessing over. You'll find out later on that I sometimes obsess over things. This psalm in particular is something that I've been obsessing over for the last three, probably even longer, weeks. And so would you join me in reading Psalm 43? If you're reading from uh, one of these Bibles, which you can find in front of you, we are on page 453. We're going to read Psalm 43. Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. You are my God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to your place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. All right, I'm going to be real with you. I'm going to be honest. When I read this psalm, I can feel the tension of the artist, the one who wrote this psalm. I can feel the tension between a downcast soul feeling pain in their heart and a mind which knows that they should respond by worshiping God downcast, yet knowing that they should worship. We're going to walk through this psalm today and see how the author plays that out. The first thing we need to notice is that sometimes we face an enemy. Sometimes we face an enemy. The author here asks God to vindicate them and defend them against an unfaithful people. Unfaithful people or nation in the NIV. I wrote this using the ESV, so there's going to be a few words that are a little bit different. And I'll, I'll point those out as we go. Uh, the unfaithful people that the author is writing about here are those who are without hesed. That's the Hebrew word for covenantal relationship. So the author's enemy here is those outside of a covenantal relationship with God. In 21st century American terms, we would call that non-believers. And that makes sense. That's the, that's the type of enemy that they're facing here, and we kind of can resonate with that a little bit because we know what it's like to face a little bit of pushback from non-believers sometimes, right? To be mocked for our faith. To be questioned for our faith. Now, being questioned for our faith is not necessarily a bad thing, they are times for us to reflect upon ourselves. In fact, a questioning of our faith can be a time to share the gospel in the, even. However, 
typically questioning of our faith from non-believers is degrading, done to mock, right? This is what the author appears to be facing here. And the author's response to this is the psalm itself. The author's response to the oppression is to take their emotion, to take their turmoil, and to pour it onto the page, to write it as a prayer, as a psalm, which is a song, for both themselves and for the public, so they can share it with others. We know what this is like, right? There's just one problem that the author is facing here. Just one problem. They have sought God as refuge, yet they feel as if God has rejected them. They have sought God as refuge, yet they feel as if God has rejected them. See, sometimes when we seek refuge in God, it can seem as if God doesn't hear us, right? Some of you have been there. Uh, the psalmist writes it here in the ESV, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Those are harsh words, right? And if you've been in this type of situation where you feel this way, you understand the confusion and pain that the psalmist is writing on the page. They write, why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? In these moments, when we face this confusion and pain, we know what we should do. The author knows what we should do and lays them out for us in verses three and four. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Let's pause there for a moment. We're gonna spend some time in these few verses. The first thing that the author knows we should do is to request help from God, specifically to send his light and his truth. NIV says care, ESV says truth. I'm gonna go with truth, I like truth better. To request help, specifically to let him lead us. In these moments, when we're facing this oppression or turmoil or struggle, whatever it is, we should call out to God and seek him and ask him to send his light and his truth. Think of it this way. If you ever go into any national park, not any national park, but if you ever go into some national parks, you'll see these things called cairns. C-A-I-R-N-S, cairns. Cairns, uh, you've probably seen them before, are stacks of rocks on top of each other, used to indicate where the trail is, right? You kind of know what I'm talking about. Sometimes they're rocks left behind by irresponsible hikers who don't understand that you're not supposed to build those. Fun fact, it is illegal to build cairns in national parks. You're not supposed to disturb the soil, you're not supposed to leave them. And it makes sense why that would be illegal, because the purpose of a cairn is to help you down the path, to show you the right way to go. Here's the deal. Uh, my wife and I, we like to go hiking. And we oftentimes go off the trail, all the time, whenever we're allowed to, right? Respect, respect your national parks, but whenever we're allowed to go off the trail, we wander off the trail. We did this yesterday, just yesterday, and we totally got lost. But it's something that we do. And it's more fun this way, 
It's tempting. It's exciting to go off the trail. Some of my favorite memories together are when we go off the trail in the Manistee National Forest and we cook dinner over a little fire, responsibly, responsibly. <laughs> I love these moments. Uh, but oftentimes, as I alluded to what happened yesterday, oftentimes I think I know the woods better than the people who made the trails. I get this idea in my head that the National Forest, I, I don't know, regulators, whatever they are, I get this idea in my mind that I know the woods better than them. And so I go off the trail, and sometimes we get a little bit lost, and we always find our way back as evidence of me being here today. But we go off the trail. The reason why I bring this up is because the author here, in verses 3 and 4, when they request the light and the truth of God to lead them, they are requesting a divine cairn, so to speak. A divine stack of rocks, a way marker, to lead them through the wilderness. To lead them to where? The holy hill of God. The temple of God, where they can be with him. The author requests in their struggle to be brought to the altar of God where there is joy and praise and singing. We should seek to dwell with him and in him. And when we are dwelling with God, this is something to rejoice in and praise him for. This is what the author wants. Verses 3 and 4 make it very clear that this is what the author wants. And they know they should do this. Yet they still feel the tension. Point number four is sometimes there is an internal struggle within ourselves between a downcast soul and a mind which knows it should rejoice in God. I'll say that again. Sometimes there is this internal struggle within us between a downcast soul and a mind which knows it should rejoice in God. You've been there before. And if you haven't, I want to give a gentle warning that you might be there someday. And that's okay. I think it's okay to be in that spot. So let me tell you a little bit about myself and where I see this the most. Uh, for as long as I can remember, I've been the type of person to wake up at one, two, three in the morning. Wide awake. And in a panic, usually. Uh, my heart physically racing, and my mind racing even faster. Uh, sometimes I get the same line of a song stuck in my head. You've been there. You know what that's like. But I'm not talking the chorus. I'm talking one line. Lately, it's been, I could get used to this, from the song, No More, from the musical, Tick, Tick, Boom. Over and over, I could get used to this. I could get used to this. I could get used to this. Terrible, terrible thing. It's like a proverbial, uh, it's a small world after all, but at 2 a.m. Um, these moments are terrible. And it happened pretty often to me. 
Usually once I see the clock hit 4 a.m., I abandon any thought of sleep and I get up out of bed and just go about my day with little to no sleep. And I've had moments like, I've had moments in these nights where I've prayed like the psalmist writes here. I've had moments where it's like two in the morning and I just can't fall back to sleep. I know that I'm gonna be ill-prepared for the next day and I pray like the psalmist is writing here. God, I have sought you as refuge. Why have you rejected me? And some of you might be, th- be thinking that I'm being a little bit over, like overdramatic here when it comes to not being able to sleep. But if you've been through that cycle and you know that it's something that happens night after night, you know what I'm talking about. This idea of like, my day is going to be ruined and I'm going to be ill-prepared and it's going to show on my face how exhausted I am and it's mentally draining and I just can do nothing but pray to God, I've sought you as refuge, why have you rejected me? And despite my frequent practice of this prayer, I still feel guilty every time I say it. And I think that that's a remnant of my old legalistic self. This legalistic self which says, who am I that I can talk back to God? Who am I, a wretch, that I can complain to God most high? I'm trying to change that mindset. Check this out. I'm trying to change from who am I, a wretch, that I can complain to God and change that mindset to who am I, a wretch, that Jesus died for me? Do you see the transition? You gotta catch this. Who am I, a wretch, that I can talk back to God to who am I that Christ would die for me is from worthless to worth death. Worthless to dying on the cross for me, for you. Jesus sees us so worthy of his love that he went to the cross to show us his love, to redeem us, right? And we can talk to him like the psalmist does here. This is not just a private prayer. This is a public proclamation of how the psalmist feels. These prayers at three in the morning of, why have you rejected me, are an outpouring of my soul to God. Knowing that I should rejoice in him, knowing that I should praise him, yet wrestling in this tension of living within a fallen world, I know the right response to these insomniatic prayers is verses three and four. God, send me your truth, send me your light, lead me to the dwelling place. And yet, my heart is incapable at those moments of praying like that, and so it asks God, why have you rejected me? It cries out to God. Yet I know that I should worship while I wait for sleep. I want to be better at this. I think the psalmist here wants to be better at this. To seek God in their struggle as I am seeking God in my restlessness. Now for you, it might not be restlessness. Maybe depression, anxiety, 
perhaps even financial struggle or the death of a loved one. We can always go to God in our struggle. We can pray to him. We can seek him in his word. And we can kneel at the cross and submit ourselves. We can lean on our brothers and sisters in Christ as the body of Christ, knowing that we are part of that body and knowing that they feel our pain too. I f- do, you feel, like, do you feel that? Do you feel the pain of your brothers and sisters? We can worship while we wait for an answer. We can worship while we wait for an answer. It sounds a little bit to me like the season of Lent. Some of you have been waiting for me to talk about Lent because we're in Lent right now. Most of us take the season of Lent as a season of sacrificing something to God. Uh, And Lent has become a season where we fast from something, anything, social media, alcohol, pop, candy, literally anything. 1,700 years ago, that was not the case. Lent was much more serious 1,700 years ago. But here's where this comes from. Lent comes from Jesus' 40-day fast in the wilderness before he went on his public ministry, right? And so what we do is we say, hey, Easter is coming up. We should fast for 40 days leading up to Easter to prepare ourselves, to prepare our hearts. So track with me here. Lent, uh, in Lent we fast for 40 days from something, and at the end of Lent, God answers. God answers by us celebrating the resurrection of his son. The fasting prepares us for that moment. God always answers his people. It may not seem like it, especially in the moment where your soul is downcast, but he does answer his people. My own testimony of restlessness is an image of this. How many nights have I laid in bed, tossing and turning, only to be here now using it as a sermon illustration, right? In fact, I have to give some credit to these bouts of insomnia because it's a time of creativity. It's a time where I can just sit down and write and be undisturbed, and there's something about that restless mindset where creativity just flows. In addition, some of my most precious times with God have been at three in the morning where I can just pour my soul out to him and be completely honest with how I'm feeling. I like to think that the psalmist here wrote this psalm at three in the morning, poured out their soul completely to God at three in the morning. I'm assured at this point that God answers to those who cry out. Sometimes he answers right away. Sometimes it takes months. Sometimes he answers in this life and sometimes he answers in the next. But I see God answering prayers constantly within our own church community and for myself. I mean, 
how many times have I just been laying in bed feeling completely abandoned by God only to just show up to church the next morning or show up to the vineyard, that's my, that's my midweek thing, and just see the love of Christ be poured out from the body of Christ to other believers. Um, I don't know why terrible things happen in this world. There are greater theologians than I that do, apparently, and they give really profound answers as to why evil exists still. But what I do know is that in Job 1.21, it says the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'll say that again. In Job 1.21, it says the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And here's what we need to catch within this. This is really important. Because we're sitting around here, we're worshiping while we wait, we're waiting for Jesus to come back, we're waiting for him to redeem the earth. And the whole while we're worshiping during this, right? And we're so focused on the, the Lord gives. We're just like, the Lord gives. We know that. But we forget the part where it says the Lord takes away, and instead we attribute that to the enemy. We say, Satan takes away. God doesn't take away, Satan takes away. I need to tell you something. If Satan had permission to take away everything at, all the time, at any point, we wouldn't be here. I was saved at the age of 17. I would have been gone at 16. Satan doesn't move a finger without God being involved, without God's permission. He is in complete control of his creation. And so while we're here on earth, worshiping while we wait, worshiping while we wait for Jesus to come back, we must be reminded, we must be reminded that God is in control of everything. He is sovereign over his creation. And so we trust in the Lord. We ask him to send his light and his truth and we ask him to lead us. We will worship while we wait. And when we have an answer, in this life or the next, we will worship some more. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for this community. I thank you for our brothers and sisters, uh, and that we can be here together to worship you uh, in this space together. And Father, I pray that if there is ever uh, a moment of pain or confusion, God, you remind us to go to you. Remind us to seek your truth in your light, to worship you while we wait in that pain. God, we are reminded that you are in complete control of your creation. Nothing happens without you knowing it. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. I have the awesome opportunity um, to share in communion with you this morning. Uh, not that uh, we aren't without grief because uh, Pastor John would normally be up here doing this, but in his absence, I have that honor this morning. I really uh, appreciate how the Holy Spirit works. You know, I wasn't supposed to be here today. Connor wasn't supposed to be here today. 
And yet the Holy Spirit lined this up perfectly uh, because he knew that we would be here. And he lined up Connor's sermon to, to really line up with communion this morning. Connor talked about cairns, those directional things in a national park, those rocks stacked up to, to show us the way that we're supposed to go. And God's given us cairns along the way as well. They're contained in the Holy Bible. And just like Connor and just like my wife, they like to go off trail. They like to go be adventuresome and head in a different direction. And a lot of times in life, we like to do that as well. It's fun, Connor mentioned, to, to go someplace that nobody else has gone before. But we also have an enemy that sets up cairns along the way of where we're not supposed to go. And that's Satan. He sets up places where we go off trail. A lot of times that leads to sin. And God knew that we would do that as well. But he set up a plan for us that we could ask for forgiveness from Jesus Christ who died on the cross for us, who shed his blood for us, whose body was broken for us. And we celebrate that this morning in Holy Communion. The last verses that were in the scripture that Connor said uh, this morning, that read this morning, it says, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my savior and my God. And that's what we do this morning with communion. We put our hope and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior and our God. I pray even right now that the Holy Spirit would prepare our hearts to share with each other the bread and the juice that are symbolic of Jesus Christ's broken body and the blood that was shed for us on that cross. The very same night that Jesus was to be betrayed, he was in an intimate setting called the Upper Room. They were celebrating the Last Supper. They were all together, and Jesus had been walking this earth humbly for 33 years. The last three he had spent exclusively with these 12 men, and yet one of them, Judas, was to betray him even that night. They shared this meal together in a close, intimate setting like we are going to do this morning as well. In the upper room, in this intimate setting, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, after supper, he took the juice, he took the cup, and he said, this is my blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Would the elders come forward as we pray this morning? Father in heaven, we come to you humbly today, recognizing that you are the only way we can be reconciled to the Father. By the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ, by the broken body that you shared for us, Father, we pray this morning that we would humbly come knowing what it is that you did for each and every one of us. We pray, God, that you would lead us by cairns, by your holy word, 
by whatever other means necessary to know what it is that you want us to do on a daily basis. We ask these things in Jesus' name alone. Amen. The elders will take the bread and juice to you, and we will wait till the end, and we can share it all together.